I have to admit I was very disappointed. The cattle are lowing. We all know we're supposed to stop there and go moo. We all know that. You didn't do that, Shane. I was disappointed in that. Mark chapter 4 this evening. We're looking at the book of Mark through the eyes of a servant. I have never studied the book this way before, but the Lord allowed me to see a recurring theme in this book. That theme being Jesus, the master servant. Matthew, Luke, and John, each of those other gospels have a a different take. Of course, Matthew, Jesus as king. King. Uh, Luke, son of uh, son of man, and, and uh, John is son of God. But Luke is the servant. He presents himself, I'm sorry, Mark is the servant. And I want to show you this evening, as we look at this, how he looks at the parables that, uh, that the other Gospels spend so much time on. He looks at it, I think, from a different perspective. There are volumes written on parables. When I went to Bible college and studied parables, there's whole courses taught on just parables. And it seems like the more you learn about the parables, the less you know. There is just a wealth of information. It's it's like a gold mine, and you start digging, and the more you dig, the more you receive. But Mark sees it a little bit differently. Let me me illustrate here as we get into it. Mark chapter 4 beginning of verse 1, And he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship, sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine. I'll stop there. I'm going to pray in just a moment. Do you remember, I think it was last week, we talked about the zombies. We talked about how this great hillside was just covered with all these people with horrible diseases. Many of them were lepers. And as they were coming in their, their, their leprous garb, meaning they, were, they had rags around them, and, 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 and sometimes there were appendages gone. Hideous, hideous disease. And sometimes because of the disfigurement from the disease, they looked scary. So here's this whole hillside of people that Jesus is preaching to, and they're pushing on him. They're pushing him back farther and farther and farther until finally he gets to the very seashore. There's there's this water behind him, and he has to stop, and he's now looking with no place to go at this crowd of people with all these infirmities, all these horrible weaknesses. Now, this is a second time. But look what he did this time. He got a boat. Instead of standing on the seashore, he got a boat to give him a little bit of separation so he didn't have to stand like this and teach. Now he's in a boat. He's out in the water teaching all these people on the hillside. And he did so in a most remarkable manner. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. I entitled it The Servant's Revolutionary teaching style. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening and for the enjoyment we've already had this evening, allowing us to sing these Christmas carols. And I trust that you have been glorified already tonight. Lord, our hearts have been lifted and encouraged. So Lord, 
would you meet with us? Spirit of God, would you speak to our hearts tonight and help us to be more like you? Thank you for what you're going to do. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what was this method? It's called parables. A lot of definitions for a parable, but he described his purpose for doing it later on, but he used parables to offer truths that, quite frankly, could only be discerned by faith. And if you refused to believe, there was no way you were going to understand what he was trying to teach. Apart from believing first, his hearers would hear the stories, they'd be entertained, but they would never understand what he was trying to teach them. Now, I'm going to go through the parables rather quickly and make applications at the end. Verse 3, Hearken, he says, Behold, there went out a sower to sow. It came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. And when the sun was up, it scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Some fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. Others fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some an hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. I have taught and preached on this very parable before and spent an entire message just on the truth of this parable. That's not the purpose this evening. The purpose this evening is to say what he's uh, encouraging us is the very beginning and the very ending. He says, hearken or listen up. Here is a message you need to hear. There's a message you need to hear. Now, there's four soils described in this particular message. So first of all, it's a message to be heard. Secondly, it's a message only for servants. He says in verse 10, When he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him of the parable. And he said to them, here's what he said, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand. Lest at any time they should be converted, their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? So this is a message for servants only. If you're not desirous of being a servant, this parable is not for you. So basically, you're wasting your time if you're not willing to be a servant to listen to this parable. Thirdly, it's a message that he chose to explain. They said, Master, teach us this parable. What in the world are you trying to teach us? Verse 14, the sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside, where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately, taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. These are they, likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when, they, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, 
such as hear the word, receive it, bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundred. Very briefly, I'm going to give you three principles from this message that he explained. First of all, the seed is the word of God, and it's to be sown. Now, when he says sown, this is not like a seamstress sewing a piece of fabric. This sown is taking seeds, and it's casting those seeds into the ground, that they might grow into plants, sowing the seeds, so that when those seeds go in, the dirt will cover them up, be watered, and they'll grow up. If they're corn, have a great corn crop. If they're, if they're radishes, have a great radish crop. Whatever happens to be, if there are beans, a great bean crop, whatever you planted there will come up in a great crop. That's the point of sowing. You sow so that you can have plants that will come up later on. Number two, seeds were sown on all kinds of soils. Notice the sower did not, was not picky about what kinds of soils he sowed on. Now, if I have a garden, I'm going to be picky. I'm going to sow the seeds only in the places that I have cultivated or dug up. I'm not just going to throw it in the air. I'm not going to throw it all over. The really hard ground or those thorny places or stony places, I'm not going to sow seeds there because we all know the seeds won't grow well there. I'm going to throw it on the good ground. But that's not what he said. Why? Because he's a servant, the master servant. And he's talking about something on a totally different plane than just sowing seeds for plants. He's talking about spiritual seeds. Always sowing spiritual seeds. Literally, the gospel. Wherever I am, always sowing the gospel. Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever I go. Sowing these seeds. So different kinds of soils did not stop the sower. He kept sowing wherever he was. That person doesn't look like they want to hear the gospel, sowing the seeds. That person would never listen to the gospel, sowing seeds, wherever you are. Thirdly, different soils determine a seed's growth. If you sow that seed on hard, packed-down ground, it's probably not going to grow. Ah, but if you sow that seed on cultivated ground, it's likely to grow up and pr produce a wonderful plant. So different soils determine a seed's growth. Verse 21. Here's the second parable he taught. And he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. The candle in this. <laughs> uh, this the light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No. no. Why? Because I'm going to let it shine. You don't take a light and put it under a bushel so nobody can see it. No, you put it out. That's from this verse here. The whole point of Having the candle is to shed light. So here he says the candle or the light is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus came into the world. The life came to be a light for the world. The light is therefore to be shared. So he says in this particular parable, the servant has light to be shown. The next one is verse 24. And he said unto them, take heed what ye hear. 
With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath to him shall be given. And he that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath. Here's a command to the servant. Servant, listen up. Command. Take heed what ye hear. Listen up. Did your parents ever say to you, now you listen. Did a teacher ever say to you, now sit up straight and listen. Well, the master teacher servant is telling us, you and me, to sit up and listen to what he has to say. And then he gives this beautiful promise, unto you that hear shall be more given. To the servant, he said, if you will hear what I will say, I will give you more. In the parables, he's saying, I'm going to teach a story, but if you listen carefully, you're going to find out there's a whole lot more truth under the surface. If you will hear what I have to say. Next, verse 26. And he said, so is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. <laughs> what I think he's saying here is you've got this bag of seeds, and you look in the seeds, and you're looking for instructions. What do I do with the seed after I plant them to make the seed grow? I see no instructions here. How do I get the seed to, to break off into the earth and have that blade come up and become a plant? How do I do that? How do I make sure that this plant then grows up full and produces fruit? How do I do that? I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to, I'm, oh no, oh no, what am I going to do? You have to understand your responsibility is to plant the seed. God's responsibility is to make the seed grow. That's what he's saying. Our responsibility is to plant the seed, to sow the seed. We don't have to figure it all out. All the DNA structure and that little tiny seed that causes that seed to know exactly how to break off and then to die and allow that plant inside to grow up and then grow to the maturity and then have fruit on that that, that has seeds in it for more plants? How in the world? Well, we don't know, but God does. That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to simply plant the seeds. Next, verse 30. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it's sown in the earth, is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it's sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs, and shooteth out great branches, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Think what he's saying is the servant's work, referring to his own work, may begin small. The propagation of the kingdom of God that Jesus came to promote began very small. Ah, but empowered by the Spirit of God, it grew beyond belief encompassing the entire world. In verse 33, And with many such parables spake he the word unto them, as they were able to hear it. But without a parable he spake not unto them, and when they were alone he expounded all things 
to his disciples. All right, I've just gone through all the parables. Now we're going to get into some lessons from these parables. And again, you could spend a lifetime studying the parables. There's so much rich truth, but I think that Mark's emphasis is not in so much dissecting them as in seeing the servant delivering them and finding from a servant's perspective what's the purpose of these parables. Number one, over and over again we hear in these parables, listen up. Verse 3, he says, hearken. Verse 9, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 23, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 24, take heed what you hear. Verse 24, unto you that hear. It sounds like there's a repeated emphasis here. God wants us to listen up, to hear what he has to say. The servant must be a good listener. If you're going to be like the master servant, Jesus Christ, you must be a good listener. When God speaks, He expects you to listen. When God speaks through His servants, He expects you to listen. Here's young Samuel. Young Samuel's going to bed and nodding off to sleep, and he hears this voice, Samuel, Samuel. And he runs into Eli. Eli, what do you want? And Eli, of course, has no idea. He's sound asleep. He says, go back to bed. Three times that happened. So finally, Eli was smart enough to realize, it must be God speaking to you. Little Samuel discerned the voice of God. He listened to what God has to say. In Proverbs 8.32, it teaches us to, that the hearers are blessed. Now therefore hearken unto me, listen to me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. He said, hear instruction and be wise. Verse 34, blessed is the man that heareth me. Blessings come to those who carefully hear God's word. Wisdom comes to careful hearers. And then, in Hebrews, we're told to remember what we've heard. It's one thing to come to a preaching service and to walk away and say, yeah, that was a blessing, and then to totally forget it. You're reading your Bible at home, and this truth just sparks at you. Wow, that's a powerful truth. Next day, as if it never happened. Hebrews 2 and verse 1, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which you've heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Pay attention. Listen. Remember what you've learned. Next, in Revelation 2 and verse 7, it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Revelation 2 and verse 11, He that hath an ear... <laughs> Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Revelation 2 and verse 29. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You think he's trying to get, off, get across a message? The Spirit only speaks to willing hearers. How, how's your hearing? You say, well, Pastor Elder, I don't hear as well as I used to. Are you listening? You listening? The Spirit speaks to willing hearers. In Mark 7, verse 14, it says, And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. In other words, don't just listen, 
try to understand what I'm teaching you. The servant must hear and understand. Can you imagine the master giving a commandment to or command to his servant and the servant running away and not having an idea what his master said? Oh boy, he'd be in trouble. Because that master expects him to do exactly what he told him to do. You go out and do this and this and this. The, man, the servant goes running, but halfway there he realizes, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. He needs to hear and understand what he's been taught. The word understand here means to put together, to comprehend, to be wise. I always look forward to Martha and Celia's parents coming. It's always fun to have them here. But communication, we struggle a little bit in communication. They speak Portuguese. I don't know Portuguese. I know a couple words now, but I don't know Portuguese. So when we come, I say, God bless you, and you say, God bless you back, and we'll shake hands, sometimes hug each other, and a few words back and forth, but there's not that communication. So when I speak, it has to be translated so they can understand that. Well, God wants us to do whatever it takes to understand what he is telling us. The servant must hear and understand. The good thing is, God so much wants you to understand, he sends some teachers along to help you understand. In Acts 8 and verse 30, And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Here's this Ethiopian eunuch, and he's reading in the book of Isaiah, but has no idea what it means. But he's seriously searching for truth. God, seeing that, sent Philip to him so that he could guide him and help him understand the truth. Because God is interested in helping people understand. This is why he's brought pastors, Sunday school teachers, and evangelists, and commentators that write on these materials to help us to understand what God is trying to tell us. And I believe that God is so desirous of our understanding what He teaches us, He sent us the key to understand it. A key. And I picked up on this from Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry said, This parable is to teach you to be attentive to the Word and affected with it, that you may understand it. If ye receive not this, ye will not know how to use the key by which ye must be let into all the rest. In other words, to understand the parable, you must have a key that opens it up. Until you have the key, you will not understand the parable. Well, I wanted to know what is the key. I wanted to understand the parable. And so I did some digging and I found out, I believe I have found the key that unlocks the parables. Which also unlocks, when God is speaking to us, it gives me the key to unlock the mystery behind what he is teaching. First of all, repeated over and over and over in God's teaching is you have to believe first. You have to choose to believe first. Now, I know that goes against our nature. We want to know everything there is to know before we choose to believe. And God says, not how it's going to work. I want you to choose to believe me first, and then you will understand later. From Jesus' great living bread sermon, John chapter 6, 
And I love this sermon. It's a wonderful sermon. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. But if you look very closely, <laughs> Jesus almost seems a little devious when he, when he teaches here. He says in John 6, 29, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God. Notice what he says. That ye believe on him whom he hath sent. In verse 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. In verse 40, And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up the last day. Did you catch the theme? you got to believe on me. Jesus is talking to this massive crowd, and he repeats himself over and over again. You must believe on me. You must believe on me. You must believe on me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, we see in the Bible. The first prerequisite to understanding the truths of God's Word is you must believe. Well, the Jews didn't believe, did they? The Jews, instead of believing, chose to reject Jesus. They murmured instead of believing. In John 6, 41, the Jews, after hearing that, murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They missed the part about believing, and they got hung up on him talking about him being the bread. The analogy, the picture, the illustration, they got hung up on instead of the main truth you got to believe. So, what did Jesus do? He restated himself. Because Jesus is merciful. And Jesus is loving. And so he did not want them to misunderstand. He wanted them to clearly understand what he's teaching them. He said in verse 47, 48, Verily, verily, or of a truth, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life or I am everlasting life. I am the bread of life. So you can understand what he's saying. Spiritually, if you will spiritually eat of him, you'll have everlasting life. If you partake of Jesus, if you believe on Jesus, you'll have everlasting life. We're smart enough to understand that, but for some reason the Jews were not. Because they got hung up on the illustration. Believe first, believe first. Believe first. We're not going to believe till you prove yourself. We're not going to believe you knew Jesus. We're not going to believe. You don't look like we thought you'd look. You didn't come like we thought you'd come. You're not taking over politically like we thought you were. We're not going to believe until you prove yourself. They restated their unbelief in verse 52. The Jews therefore strove among themselves saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, listen carefully, after he tells them the key, and he repeats himself four times, here's the key, you got to believe. 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 Believe first that I am the bread of life. Believe and after all that, the Jews rejected him, refused to believe. Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, of a truth, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life 
in you. You can imagine what those Jews thought. As Jesus talked about cannibalism, eating his flesh and drinking his blood, kill him, kill him. He's teaching heresy. Well, no, he's not. You missed the whole point. He's talking on a spiritual level. If you eat of him or partake of him, then you'll be saved, have everlasting life. But because they rejected the key, they could not understand. Secondly, you've got to take God's word. You've got to take God's word personally. First point is you've got to believe. Secondly, you've got to take it personally. In 2 Kings 22 and verse 11, the Old Testament, young King Josiah took over, and young King Josiah was an amazing king, had a real heart for God. It says, it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law, he rent his clothes. The Jews had been away from God so long they had, couldn't even find God's word. It was hidden away in some, some dusty closet. But all some servants found the word of God after years of not being read. And they brought it to the king and they began reading it. And it broke his heart as he realized how far from the word of God, they had strayed. And he rent his clothes. He tore his clothes. Though his fathers had ignored God's word, young Josiah took it personally. Because of that, in verse 19, God rewarded Josiah's response to his word. Because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place, and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and hast rent thy clothes and wept before me. I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. I've heard your prayers, because I saw how you responded to God's word, because I saw how you took it personally. As you read the word of God, you didn't say, oh, they sure needed that. Boy, that person sure needed it. You took it personally. It gives joy and rejoicing as you allow God's word to truly affect you. In Jeremiah 15, 16, thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. It also prevents me from sin. When I take God's word and apply it to my life, what I read was for me. Look what God said to me. It prevents me from sin. David said, Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. And then amazingly, Peter teaches us that by personalizing God's word, it allows us to partake of his very nature. That which we've been talking about on Sunday mornings, that life of Christ. In 2 Peter 1.4, Whereby are given unto us exceeding and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. The divine nature, the life stream of Christ. Matthew Henry writes, We shall find more in Christ's teachings than at the first there seem to be. In other words, the more you dig, the more you search, the more you'll find in what Christ has taught us. Next, if we fail to grasp the elementary truths that God gives us, how could we begin to understand His deeper truths? If you're having a hard time getting arithmetic, where 2 plus 2 equals 4, 
and you're struggling with that. Man, does two plus two equal three? I don't remember. Two plus two, is that five? What is that? I should know. I studied this. Two plus two. If you're not going to get arithmetic, how are you ever going to get calculus? How, how are you going to get the upper maths if you don't understand the basics? If you don't understand God's simple truths, how will you ever begin to understand the meat of the word that God wants to share with you? He says in verse number 13, And he said unto them, to his disciples, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? Do you know that's only written in the book of Mark? How will ye then know all parables? If you're having a hard time figuring these out, as I continue to teach in parables, how will you understand those? If you, can't, if you can't consider this truth, how can you expect to fully understand and apply other truths? Next, it is expected from his parables that sowers, those taking the gospel and sowing it in all kinds of soils, it is expected that sowers will continue to sow. Sowers are the ones who have been trusted with the seed. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, believing that He died for you, He saved you, you now have a testimony of what Christ did for you, and you now have something that you can share with others. Let me tell you what Christ did for me. Christ saved me from the lost condition that I was in. He died for me. He rose again three days later. Let me tell you, if you were to come to Jesus and put your faith and trust in Jesus like I did, He would save you too. You have a testimony that you can share. Sowers are expected to sow. In verse number 14, it says, The sower soweth the word. The sower, here it is, he's reaching into his bag of seed, and he's sowing the seed. He's casting the seed. The sower soweth the word. The word soweth is in the present tense, which means it's continuous. Just keeps doing it and keeps doing it and keeps doing it and keeps. So the, the sower, the servant who is the sower, is expected to continue sowing the seed. When things are going well, the sower is supposed to be out there sowing the seed. When things are not going well, the servant who's the sower is to be sowing the seed. When things look good, the sower is to be sowing the seed. When things don't look good, the sower is to be sowing the seed. And then lastly, the sower should spread the seed on all kinds of ground. We read that the sower sowed seed on the wayside. That's, that's the hard-packed path that people walk on. And he went ahead and sowed seed right there. Doesn't sound real smart, but he sowed it there. He said that he sowed seed in, in thorny places. There's, there's a bunch of thorns there. And he sowed seed there. There's a stony patch. Stony patch. Any wise gardener knows you're not going to have a great crop in a stony patch. Wow, but the sower sowed in the stony patch. But he also sowed in that which was cultivated and prepared for the soil. He sowed in all kinds of soils. Why? Because the sower is not responsible for the seed to grow. 
The sower is responsible to sow the seed. He sowed it in the wayside, the stony ground, the thorny ground, and the good ground. Isaiah 32 and verse 20 says, Blessed are ye that sow beside all waters. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Why in the world is the sower teaching us to sow on all kinds of ground, including the kind of ground that's really hard, that you know full well they're not going to grow there? Because Jesus is reminding us that, quite frankly, you don't know that. He's the one responsible. You sow, not knowing, but what there may be somebody that looks very hard-hearted, someone who looks like they're not interested, Someone who looks or perhaps have heard the story so many times, but they have no interest. You go ahead and sow the seed because the Spirit of God is the one responsible for working in the heart. Sow all kinds of grounds. So as Mark comes along and Mark dissects these parables, Mark looked at them through the lens of the master servant. And as you and I look at these parables, may we do the same understanding we've got to listen when Jesus talks. We've got to find the key that unlocks the parables, the mysteries of God. What is that key? It begins by belief first. And then to take what God has given to us and not try to ask first. You say, yes, sir, I'm going to obey first. And he'll bring you the understanding thereafter. Next time you read through the parables, <clears throat> Perhaps look at them through the eyes of a servant. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your incredible example of a master servant. Lord, you who came and gave up your reputation, took up on the form of a servant, that you might give your life serving others. And then you said that we are to be your disciples and to follow your example. But Lord, would you shake us free from our selfishness? And would you help us to look to you and to become servants ourselves in the short time that we have here on this earth? Along the way, sowing the seed continuously. Thank you for this time, Lord. Continue to work in our hearts. And we thank you for your patience with us. For we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.